Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Hey everyone, Sarah here. As you listen to our episodes recorded during the 2020 global pandemic, just a friendly reminder to check the date stamp on when that episode was released. And we'll also always tell you when it was recorded as well in the show notes and in the episode itself. Things change so quickly these days, including recommendations for health and safety, as well as just our own thoughts and feelings. So you may hear things that feel a bit dated if you're catching up on older episodes. Just know that we're experiencing this in real time, just like you, and that we're working really hard to follow the latest recommendations for the safety of our families and our communities. We're also working hard to bring you timely, relevant podcast episodes in a world that's changing really quickly. So just a reminder to listen with that context. Thanks for being here, friends. On to the episode. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 256 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Megan. How are you? I'm good, and I'm happy that we are taking on part two of a listener questions series. Um, we usually do this in two in two installments, mm -hmm. and in the name of trying to keep things as normal as possible right now, we decided to roll with that. So we did one last week mm -hmm. um, where we took some listener questions, one of our favorite things to do, and, and we're doing it again this week. The funny thing is, um, I we didn't say it was part one of two last week because as we know all better. of you know, <laughs> saying anything is going to happen a week from now is now like, it's just a thing we cannot do. So we could um, be living on Mars in a week. I don't know. Exactly. So we just had to kind of cross our fingers and hope. But yeah, this is, um, I want to say we have about 25 listener questions episodes in the archives. So if you are looking for some kind of um, a mom hour deep dive, these are always really fun because we cover a lot of different parenting topics in a shorter amount of time. Sometimes you get to hear us be a little more opinionated, I think, um, yeah. than mm -hmm. perhaps in our regular Tuesday shows. So, yeah. And on more minutiae, because the questions that people send in tend to be very specific to their lives. And sure. so we really get to dig into some nitty gritty, which usually I think we take like a higher level. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Plus, if you're asking us for advice, then we're going to give it right. <laughs> we're going to give it to you. <laughs> yes. It is solicited at that point if you send in. Right. Yes. So we are recording this on April 11th and we're liking to tell people when we're recording these episodes during the coronavirus because things really change yeah. a lot from day to day these days. Yes. So yes, for the record, it is April 11th. You all will be hearing this around the 14th or thereafter. And um, I, I think we are going to check in a little bit before we get going with listener questions and just see how each of us is doing. So if you're listening to this in the future and you hear some recommendation or some reference to something timely and you're like, Megan and Sarah, that's wrong. Well, that's because you have to travel back in time to April 11th. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Things have changed a lot. And and um, you mentioned, Sarah, that I had completely forgotten this milestone. But by the time this episode comes out, we will have really been in some way at home for a month or more. Um, maybe not. And my in my state, it wouldn't have been technically like shelter in place or stay at home orders. But the schools had been announced closed. They were about to close restaurants. I believe you guys were a little earlier with some of those announcements. Yeah. I mean, March 13th was the first day we were all home and that was a school holiday anyway, coincidentally. So March 12th was the yeah. last time my kids were in school. Um, and then that week of the 16th was when it seemed like dominoes one day after yes. the other fell. But um, I talked about this a month ago that we we kind of chose to shelter in place a few days before I just out of assumption that it was coming. So really, other than weekly grocery store trips with one family member who now even wears a mask in the beginning, that wasn't a thing people were doing. But now it is 
other than that and walks in the fresh air, my family has been in our house for, at, as of your hearing this, over a month, like 32 days or something like that. Crazy. Yeah. And I think for me, it's more like 30 days. I believe the last time, besides, I think I've picked up, like I've done carry out at restaurants right. two, three times and been to the store, you know, probably yeah. about every 10 days. Yeah. Um, but other than that, our stuff all got shut down too. There's been nowhere to go. Right. Like we, we go on walks. My kids are always home. They yeah. don't go anywhere. Um, we, the first week we're still kind of tentatively doing things with my brother's family and then stop that after the 16th. So really we've all been completely, yeah. you know, closed off as well for now like a month. And it's funny how in some ways it's just become like, I don't feel bored anymore. I don't really feel that restless. Um, like it doesn't feel weird anymore. And I was talking to someone last week um, about this and she was saying, well, there's no such, there's no FOMO. I remember who that was. I think it was in one of your interviews that you did for our pandemic perspectives. Cause That's I was, right. I listened yes. to it cause I was editing it and I heard that. And, yes. and you're so right. It was, there's no FOMO. There's no FOMO because no one's doing anything. Yeah. So I've really gotten kind of in the, the weather's getting better here. And so I would say on a day-to-day lifestyle um, basis, like we've settled in nicely and I don't feel bored and restless. I don't really feel lonely. I found ways to, to close those gaps. But now it's starting to feel like, okie dokie. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How long is this going to go on for? Yeah. And the truth is we just don't know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say that we've had, you know, different roller coasters over here as well. If you had told me a month ago that it would be a month, I think even that would have felt long. Because remember at the time, at the time, we thought maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks. Yes. And now that kind of seems silly looking back, but we yes, didn't know so any better. Naive. How cute. How yeah, cute that we thought. Um, so on the one hand, we've done really, really well. I'm so fortunate in so many ways. Like Brian's home. He's working from home, but he actually, his workload is pretty light, which is fortunate for me. It's unfortunate for his business. Um, so I have a lot of support during the day. You and I have been able to work. Like there's so many things about my situation that are just way less hard than a lot of people. And I'm very aware of that. Um, the adjustment to distance learning was like, um, there was like a whole bunch of different levels. On the one hand, I was kind of excited because it came about 10 days in. So I felt like, okay, now we have a new thing to try to figure out. Um, and then the adjustment to that felt like, like I have three kids in a K through eight school. And so they're all in the Mm. same school. So it's all being rolled out at the same time. Um, We, again, we, we're very fortunate. We have two older laptops that don't work very well, but they work okay. They get internet access, you know? Um, and so the, we were able to get everybody set up, but it felt like a lot of management for the first, like five school days, probably like a week. And, um, and then that settled into its own thing. And that thing is that the older two are doing really well, pretty much on their own. And the first grader has essentially dropped (laughs) out. I was going to say Violet decided she just like threw her hands up was like, you know what? It's like, and so I I don't want to take too much time, but basically what we've decided is we get the opportunity to check in with her teacher one-on-one me, her and her teacher via video conference once a week. And, um, we did that this week and, you know, we have agreed she's going to write in her journal every day. We read and practice reading and reading read aloud every day. Um, there is a math computer pro- or math game on the computer that they do at school that she likes. And so we're going to do our best to do that. And I, this is new and this is still developing as of April 11th. But I guess California as a state is going to ask teachers to provide some kind of progress for uh, the part of the semester that they were in school. So like January through March and then some kind of um, like assessment of the distance learning. And I guess it's not so that they're going to fail any kid, but it's so that when everybody regroups in the fall, that they have something to go on. So we just agreed with her teacher. She's like, I just need to see enough of what she's doing so that I can make a case for like that. We don't have concerns about second grade. So again, check with your schools and your teachers out there. This is I'm learning as we go. But basically like Violet's not showing up to any of the live video classes that are offered. And she's not doing much of the work provided. She's just doing just enough that I can snap a picture and send it to her teacher and say, here, here's something for the folder. <laughs> so that's what we're doing. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. No, I think that's so reasonable because again, as we've, as the drum that we've beat in is that just because now school is canceled doesn't mean your life has changed and that you're, 
your job has changed or that anyone listening right now has fewer responsibilities. If anything, they have more. So I think it's high time. We all, you know, it's really a good time for us to go easy on ourselves. In Michigan, what's interesting is we do not, like we just found out, I want to say end of last week, so week before last, that school was canceled through the end of the year. We knew it was coming. Sure. Like it wasn't, it wasn't officially announced until then, but there wasn't really a plan in place for what's going to happen next. So the kids, um, fortunately in our district, it's one-to-one. So the kids all have a computer. Okay. Um, so they all have their own. And, and the nice thing is the computers already had everything on it. Like it already had the links to like their different platforms and the email was all installed and all that. So I didn't have to worry about setting any of that up. And it sounds so lame. Like, I know that I'm a smart person and I could have figured it out. But I mean, that, it's a that lot. would have felt really daunting. You have daunting. a lot of children. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I do. And <laughs> only three of them are in school, but still, like, it's a lot. And um, But they're basically able just to kind of get on for an hour a day and blast through what they've got. And then I'm trying to fill in the time with fun stuff. Like, they have, all of them are getting books in their Easter baskets and I'm going to ask them to read the books and report back to me. There yeah. are books I'm interested in that I've read. So like, I, love I think things like that, we're cooking a lot. Like Claire got a bunch of Easter stuff for, for, or sorry, art stuff for Easter. I just think that there's going to be ways to make this time worthwhile um, without it having to feel like all day online schooling, which isn't what anyone's used to or no, really wanting to it do. Isn't. So, And yeah. one thing, one thing that I learned with this, this one-on-one we did just this week was, um, you know, I knew this, but it was really driven home that the teachers are just like us. They are being given one piece of information and then 10 yes. days later, something changes. Yeah, they and don't know any more than we do. It's nobody's fault. It's not the administration's fault. It's not, in my opinion, it's not the state's fault. Like, it's just because this is rapidly developing. So to me, it felt like a surprise that what was first communicated as really optional, optional enrichment resources, which to me means like, you don't have to do it if you don't want to then hearing that, oh no, there is uh, some kind of obligation on behalf of the teacher to just at least show where this kid is in their benchmarks. And, and to me, because I, I really do respect teachers and I don't want to, I, I don't want, you know, me saying, well, I'm just going to homeschool my kid my own way to then create a whole bunch more like logistics and paperwork for a teacher who does not need that in their life. So that's, so, so I had to like yeah. kind of come back from that place of being like, well, we don't need to do this at all to, to like, okay, well, we do actually need to send something in. Um, and some right. of you listening out there may have been like, we're going to do it all. We're going to do the whole packet. And you may be dialing back in the other direction. Now you're like, well, <laughs> you're yeah. like, well maybe there's a middle ground. So talk to yeah. your teachers and, you know, just, I feel like we just have to be patient with our schools because they yeah. are, this was not in any, anybody's contingency plan. No one's happy about it. And everybody's learning as we go. And, um, I'm just really happy because it's 70 degrees out here nice. and my kids are outside playing Foursquare as Yay. I'm recording this, which is like the first time they've all gone outside for any length of time in weeks. So I'm a happy mama. Well, you can do right what now. I do and say, when you come inside, I will have a cleaning job for you. And then it's magic because they just stay outside <laughs> forever. <laughs> I promised them video game time. They haven't been online at all today. So oh, I'm like, okay, when yeah. you come in, it's almost seven o'clock here. So that's true. <laughs> they've deserved, they deserve, they've earned it. That's, yeah. that's fair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, um, we just wanted to kind of check in in real time about what things are like in our houses. And we will probably continue to do that on occasion. And lucky for you all, if you are listening to this well into the future and everybody's back in school, you can just be like, oh, remember all that. <laughs> OK, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from our place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. 
Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite Factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, so our first question comes from Jamie. She's calling in from San Diego. And I think this is a question that most of us can relate to. So we'll let Jamie ask your question. Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Jamie calling from San Diego. I'm a mom to a 16-month-old and I work part-time and I do that work from home. So I've been able to watch my daughter during the day. But should I consider enrolling her in some sort of a structured preschool or program? so that she can socialize. This would be an extra out-of-pocket expense for our family that's not necessarily required since I am able to watch her. So at what age do you think enrolling her would be worth the cost? Thanks. Okay, thanks for the question, Jamie. We should mention that um, this question did come in before COVID-19 was basically (laughs) interfering with our ability to put kids in any kind of preschool or, or school situation. Um, But it's still really relevant because not only are people looking ahead to fall, but I feel like right now, probably everyone is super enthusiastically looking forward to fall. So whereas you might be in a place, and I imagine San Diego is one of those places where there might be like waiting lists and long lines to get into preschools, that could even be exacerbated next fall if people are just really eager, right? Yes. Not only that, but... um... January, February and and early March is tends to be when a lot of schools do open houses and tours and when kind of Mm. that open application period is for most schools, even elementary schools and things like that, which means that a lot of moms were just starting to get their fall lined up. And then now, you know, now there's no school. So I, I think people have a lot of questions about fall, but this is a great timeless question anyway. So I'm excited to tackle it. Okay, so I had um, kids all over the spectrum with preschool. I had some that started early, not as early as some do now. I don't think that was as much of a thing. Um, when say like Jacob and Isaac who are 20 and 22 now, when they were little, it, you were hard pressed to find a true preschool program that started before. I mean, two and a half was really early, you know, three was more likely. Otherwise it was considered part of a um, a daycare program, or sometimes it was like a mom and me program, but yeah. there weren't as many formal preschools. I know that's changed and a lot of um, Montessori's now do younger and younger. So I'm just going to say just like the caveat that my experience was all over the place. I had kids who started quite young and one who never went at all. I think Owen only went for one year. Claire didn't go to preschool at all. So uh, I know you'll have more to say about this, Sarah, but my approach was always like, what's in it for me? (laughs) Um, I know that sounds really selfish, but I think that we've kind of talked about this before about how preschool can be just about as much as what mom needs and what works for mom and mom's schedule. And if you have other children in the home, which it doesn't sound like Jamie does, but um, if you do nap schedules and things like that, like that heavy, like heavily factored into how much I felt preschool was worth it to me. Yes. And how much quote unquote needed Um, Okay, so yeah, I do have I have lots of thoughts here. And one is that the way Jamie worded this question is 
should, should I sign her up for preschool so that she can socialize? And it would be an out-of-pocket expense that wouldn't necessarily be fantastic for the family. And because she worded it that way, I am going to say, in my opinion, you do not need to put a toddler in a preschool program in order to allow them to socialize. That that is not to say they would not get socialization benefits. Do you see this? Like, I am not saying that preschools don't do a good job of helping toddlers socialize. I'm just saying I don't believe that's the one thing you need to do, especially if it's a puts a financial strain on your family. And I, I think that for a couple of reasons. One, same age socialization in the toddler years presents, I believe, as many challenges as it does benefits. If you've ever tried yes. to watch a lot of two year olds, young twos play together or sit in circle time, um, bless those toddler preschool teachers. They are amazing, but it is, it is challenging. And I think if we look, you know, developmentally, um, mixed age socialization is actually, there's so many benefits to it. So, and what I mean by that is a mixed age casual get together with you and your extended family of cousins or you and your neighbors or you and whoever is naturally in your network where that toddler is looking up to big kids and waving to a baby and getting exposed to all different generations um, is I believe as much a part of socialization as a, as a same age peer group. So that's one, one thing to think about when you think about socialization is um, I'm not sure that that's, I'm not sure that one equals the other putting them in a room full of other toddlers is not the only ticket to socialization. Um, well, and there might be a, a, a less expensive or free option that's even right. as good or better because, you know, what you're describing is, I think they call it parallel play. Yeah. Um, in At the best. Young, in it's early not childhood like development. Right. <laughs> yes. And it's, yes, it's either like they completely ignore each other or they're aggressors. Yeah. There's very little in between at that age, which, I mean, not to say it's it's got no value, just to say there's other ways you can- get, Certainly. You can, yeah, meet that, yeah. Um, I did have my first- baby, and I did think of her as a baby at, at the time, went into a daycare program at 14 months and was in it from 14 months to two. Um, and there were really fun, great things. I loved like that she learned songs and I loved, it was at that time when languages was exploding. So I loved that she could almost tell me little things about her day, even in her barely like three word sentences. And so there were wonderful things about it. Um, and then there were also challenging things about it. She got sick a lot. Um, you know, there's always a biter in every class and I haven't mm-hmm. had a kid who was a biter. So I say that with sometimes all love sometimes and no judgment. You. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that's one thing, but like you said, Megan, I think a lot of this, I come back to what does mom need? And so I'm going to flip to the other side of this, which is if Jamie's been working from home successfully for 16 months, that's amazing. Um, but babies often and young toddlers often have more predictable naps and are more easily distractible. And I think there's a bit of a honeymoon period. I got so much done working from home when my third child was an infant. And I know you did too. Both of us had insanely productive third child work from home and then they nap less and they get busier. And you may find that you that all of a sudden that financial strain become the economics may become worth it because you cannot actually get your job done because you now have like a two and a half year old. So I think, like you said, it just comes down to what's going to make your life easier and trusting that in terms of socialization, if you decide not to do a preschool program, I mean, I didn't put a couple of my kids in preschool until they were three and a half, or even one of Mm -hmm. them was like three and three quarters. Um, and, and we had so many different ways to be out in the world, uh, quote unquote socializing, um, that I think you have a lot of flexibility there. It's not so much about the should yeah. you, and it's more about what's the economic and time and efficiency and mental health for yourself. Like what's the, what is the thing that is going to be the best? Does that, does that make sense? And don't, yeah. And don't underestimate or forget to factor in the length of time it takes to a get to the preschool, mm-hmm. be get in the door and do drop off, get out the door get home, mm-hmm. get back in the car, get back to the preschool, get back into pickup because all that's going to factor in. And, and I, as I recall, I can't remember now whether it was with Owen or Clara or both. The reason I didn't start earlier was because when I did the math, when I really did the math on what I would lose by shifting nap times and things to accommodate a mm-hmm. schedule that was like two hours long, maybe two and a half. And then I took away the half hour it would take to actually mm-hmm. get them there and in the door. You know what I mean? Like it started to feel like diminishing returns. Um, and that was really, it, it really kind of came down to the numbers for me as from a work at home perspective, yeah. not, 
not just for the want to break kind I, of thing. Because I know a lot of moms who would drop their kids off and, and go have coffee. And that's fantastic. But if that's not your reality, if that's not the way you can do your work, then that might not help you at all. Yeah. So I wanna, all those things can factor into. Totally. I want to offer two possibilities that might not look like a traditional preschool program. And we've mentioned one of them for sure on the show, which is gym daycare. Um, and again, we're recording this in the middle of COVID-19. It feels like we'll never get back to gym daycare life again, but I think we will someday. So I got a lot done in the toddler years um, through the childcare that was offered as a benefit of my gym membership. And it was actually a really great program. It was like a preschool, only it was drop off. And so some weeks we did it an hour a day. Some weeks, if we were sick, we just didn't go. It was like super flexible. And that um, was great for us. And the other thing is my sister found a Mother's Day out and she has a two and a half year old that's one day a week, which was kind of cool because it was like playing at school, like, like, play, like, Let's pretend we're in school, but it was one day a week and um, just for toddlers. So I think there's lots of there's lots of options now um, and maybe something like that where you you book all your conference calls on that one day and you find a Mother's Day out program or a neighbor, um, Katie, who has been on our show a bunch before. Katie had a what do you call that? A co-op like a neighbor co-op where, yeah, yes, you know, so like I think there's lots of lots of sort of in between ways, maybe. Um, yeah short of a formal preschool program. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Well, Jamie, best of luck to you. And we're all crossing our fingers that there are, you know, programs operating as normal in the fall so that everybody has these choices. Um, So we, our next question comes from Connie and we will listen to her ask a question about planning pregnancies and planning kids' birthdays. So let's listen to that now. Hi, Megan and Sarah. I have a question about planning pregnancies while thinking about possible due dates. Before I had my daughter, I kept in mind what her approximate due date would be. I didn't want her sharing a birthday with anyone else we knew because I wanted her birthday to be her own special day. Since my daughter is now three years old, my husband and I are trying for our second child, and I'm thinking about this again because it coincidentally is the same month when we conceived our firstborn. I don't want my kids to share a birthday because growing up, I had to share multiple birthday parties with my younger brother. I would love to know, number one, what are your thoughts about siblings who are a few years apart and share a birthday or have birthdays really close together? Is party planning difficult and making each child feel special? And number two, if either of you have ever kept due dates in mind while thinking of having the next baby. Thanks so much for listening to my question and I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. Okay, Connie. So I just want to lead with the caveat that I did not actually plan most of my pregnancies. Mm -hmm. Really, only one was even something you could kind of call planned. Um, But even if I had, two of them were quite late. Two of the boys were quite late after their due date. And one was a little late and the other one was a little early. So even if I had planned them, like when they were born, completely changed the lineup, if that makes sense. So even if I had thought I was going to perfectly space them like a month apart, the fact that they were born right either a little early or, or way late, like kind of threw that all off. So I guess I would just go in with the, um, just the note <laughs> that even with the best of planning, that doesn't necessarily mean the way you plan it is it, how it's going to look. Mm-hmm. So for us, the boys' birthdays are like one after the other. So it's like a month apart and then like three weeks apart, three weeks apart. Mm-hmm. So end of September, end of October, mid-November, early December. And so our fall is pretty hectic, um, but there's been some benefits to that. So when they were young, we were able to do a lot of shared birthday parties, um, especially before they started having friend birthday parties. We were able to do lots of shared ki- uh, shared family birthday parties which honestly were a blast for the boys. And then they were able to do kind of the ones where like they have siblings come like sibling parties where two boys had the party, like the two closest in age would have their party. And then they would invite kids from other families who had siblings close in age. So like that was fun. And now that they're older and they've been over that for a long, long time, there is just enough of a breather in between to kind of keep me from losing my mind Well, again, it's also condensed enough that it doesn't feel like it just drags on all year. Yeah. But again, like had they been conceived, like if any one of them had been conceived a month later than they were or a month earlier or Mm -hmm. born on time or born earlier or whatever, like it would have been completely different. So I think that for me, not getting too hung up on there being perfect timing is probably the way to go because I'm not sure there's such a thing, to be honest. And I think there's downsides and upsides to both. 
So one thing I noticed was Connie may mentioned that she really did not like sharing birthday celebrations with her brother when she was growing up. And I just want to acknowledge that so much of how we approach this kind of stuff often does come from our own childhood. So I have a holiday birthday, for example, I'm born on Valentine's Day. And that's kind of a fun holiday, I think, to be born on. There were a couple of things I didn't like about it as a kid, but most of my whole life, I've really liked that. If I didn't like having a holiday birthday, I'd probably carry some different opinions about like, oh my gosh, what if my baby's born like right before Christmas or, you know, on Halloween or whatever. So I think just acknowledging that your experience growing up is playing a a role here and that let's say your second baby was born two days after your daughter's birthday, you are still the mom and you are still (laughs) carving out your own family traditions and family culture around birthdays. And I bet there are some great ways that those kids could grow up never feeling like they had to share a birthday. Do you know what I mean? So there's regardless of when the birthdays fall, I think you will be able to um, do things differently because you, you shared that you didn't like the way that was growing up. So I'm sure you will find a way to make that different for your own kids. Um, so I also did not at all uh, worry or um, try to plan the birthdays. So I did plan my pregnancies and, and I, by planning them, I just mean I felt ready to be pregnant, ready for the next pregnancy, you know, went off whatever contraception and tried to get pregnant, uh, took a couple months the first two times and it took a little longer the third time. Even as I was doing the math and counting ahead and if, okay, if it happens this month, then this will be the birthday. I never was trying, I never was aiming for or trying to avoid a certain month. Um, I did have a very close friend who was obsessed with not having a Christmas baby. And to the point where like she had to, you know, she had to try for several months to get pregnant and she would take a break because she did not want a Christmas baby. And I always I just kind of <laughs> teased her about it. And that was not like. Like you said, Megan, there's so many unknowns. It might take you right. longer to get pregnant. It might take you shorter. Um, it, you might have the baby a month early. They might come two weeks late. Like to me, all of those unknowns made it so that while my pregnancies were planned, I was not shooting for a target birthday at all or or a target holiday or yeah. trying to avoid a winter baby or this and that. I also know some teachers, and this is funny because we have a lot of teacher um, teachers in our audience, but I definitely know teachers who would plan like a May baby so that they could make it almost all the way through the year and then, you know, maybe miss the last month or whatever if they needed to and then have the whole summer and then come back. And so I always kind of found that if man, if your body and biology and everything's like working on your side that you have that much control, more power. Right. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Um, And then just on a final note, the closest I have is about a month apart um, at the very end of April and the very beginning of June. And it's not enough that they really have ever like felt like they share the birthday. I will say as a mom, I sometimes get second child birthday fatigue because we go a long time mm-hmm. without any birthdays. And then I have my, it's my firstborn and we do hers. And then it feels like we recover. And I'm like, oh man, we got to do this again. Yes. Um, so I do feel like there's, there was, especially when they were little, it was like, well, we just had everybody over for cupcakes. Do we really have to do this again? But, um, but no, it hasn't, it hasn't been an issue for our family. I want to like talk a little bit about this because I think you make a really good point, Sarah, that Connie is remembering things from her childhood that she doesn't want to repeat. And um, I know we've talked about this on the show before, but I think it's important to always remember that we tend to remember the best or the worst Mm. things that Mm -hmm. we experience. Those are the ones that stick in our minds. And so I'll throw out an example. Isaac, during a formative time of his life, um, I want to say it was when he was like, 11, 12, 13 or 12, 13, 14 or something like that. Those years, his birthday just happened to fall every time on the only long weekend the kids had out of school. And it was right after school started. So his birthday is at the end of September, September 24th. And so like one year, his birthday fell on a Friday. One year, it fell on a Saturday. One year, it fell on a Sunday. Or maybe it goes the other way. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can never yeah, remember if it goes, you know. I think it goes um, forward like that, like you described. Yeah. So, and it always was the weekend that they also happened to have a long weekend. And so we went out of town three, either two or three years in a row. And if you asked Isaac, (laughs) who's 20 years old now, literally every single birthday of his, we've been traveling and he never got to have a birthday at home. And I know that's not true. Like I can look back and say, Isaac, that's absolutely not true. Like there were so many birthdays when we were just home and like, you got your own party. You were the only, he was the only one who got his own first you know, first birthday bash with Uh like a themed cake. Like I remember it. 
But he doesn't remember that. All yeah. he remembers is the three years he had to travel when he didn't really, he's a homebody and he yeah. didn't want to. So uh, when I look back at the birthdays from when I was a kid, the ones I remember are the best and the worst. And so I think it's really, it is really important to look back at what was important to you as a kid, but also sometimes to think there's probably room for a different experience. And for why that bothered Connie, maybe, I don't know how old her younger brother was. Maybe he was an annoying number of years younger. <laughs> like right. the number of years you really don't want to share a birthday with yeah. your younger sibling. Maybe the way it was presented um, made it feel like a throwaway. Like her birthday didn't matter and right. his did. Like, I don't know. I can't, I'm not going to go back and psychoanalyze her, her family situation. But like, there's so many ways that can play out that makes it like kind of hang heavy on your psyche when it might not play out that way for your kids. Yeah. So that's just like a little caveat. I think that we always, like you said, Sarah, you're the decider, you're the mom, you get to decide. But even if you accidentally managed to somehow have kids that were born a day apart, their experience doesn't have to be the way you remember right. your experience being. Can I tell you a so. fun fact that's only tangentially sure. related to this? I don't know if I ever told you. So my dad is a twin um, and his twin sister and he split midnight, which means that they have from like the true calendar perspective, they are, have different birthdays. So he was born just before midnight and his twin sister was born just after midnight, 71 years ago or whatever. Um, and so growing up, their mom just decided that they'd celebrate on my dad's birthday, that he's the older of the two. And um, but my aunt has a different, I mean, if you, Megan, were born a few minutes after midnight, no one would think twice to give you the birthday that you were given. That's just your birthday. Right. right. But because her twin brother had been born the day before, so they always celebrated on the one day. And now she really kind of has two different birthdays because on her driver's license and all legal documents, she's born February 7th. But right. Growing, but she has oh, this so identity funny. as a twin of being sharing a birthday because most twins share a birthday. Anyway, just I don't, I've never yeah. met, a, I mean, maybe in our listening audience, but I haven't met any other twin pairs who have different birthdays. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. I guess I haven't either. And I imagine that would be something you'd have to decide Yeah, later in life, either you're going to stick with it or carve your own path. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And she kind of does both. Like they call each other yeah. on the sixth, which is like their shared birthday. Um, and I think she really does kind of consider that to be her birthday, even though uh, on paper it is not. So kind of fun, <laughs> kind of fun. Um, well, Connie, hopefully that that helped. And there's just so much of this that we can't plan. So maybe that's even like a little freeing in a way. Like there's just yeah. no there's just no controlling at all. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. 
And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Bionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, our next question comes from Brittany, and this one is timely. It is related to being inside, as we all are at the time of this recording due to COVID-19. So let's listen to Brittany's question now. Hi, ladies. This is Brittany from Colorado. My question is about having a very strong-willed and physically challenging and demanding toddler in the times of COVID-19. So I know both Sarah and Megan have talked about having a very strong-willed toddler, and I'm just wondering how you got through stuck inside days or just trying to get work done on a regular day while having a child who will use their pent-up energy to slam a car into the wall over and over until the trim breaks or something like that. So I'm not necessarily asking for ways to change his behavior because I know there's only so much I can do about the fact that he is the way he is, but more so what I can do to help channel his energy into good things rather than bad things and how I can keep myself from going crazy while dealing with a kid that is so different from me. Well, first of all, I feel sort of validated that Brittany knows that you and I each have had at least one spirited (laughs) toddler. I feel I feel known. That means we talk about them a lot, I guess. I feel known (laughs) and seen. Um, So, I mean, this is just there are so many moms out there just nodding their heads um, because the toddler years are really challenging anyway. Um, And for every kid who in every kid personality, it looks like a lot of boundary testing and a lot of um, physicality. I think even for, I've had very low key toddlers who weren't as physically adventurous, but yet even, even they are still, they're learning to run and jump and climb stairs and throw things and like be more physical. And so if all of that is happening and also you can't go to the jungle gym or you can't go to the, um, like the open gym at the gymnastics place, which was such a huge lifesaver for me in those years, this is just really challenging. So the first thing I have to say is yes, this is extremely challenging. And the next thing I want to say is I really loved that Brittany specifically said she's not looking for behavior modification techniques um, because this is normal. And so I'm so glad that she said that she's just looking for ways to channel that energy. And I guess um, my first advice would be outdoors and the weather's going to be getting warmer. Um, If you can safely be outdoors where you are. Um, And then also, you know, now this is shared around on the internet all the time, but like just add water. So anytime you can, add water to a busy toddler, dumping, pouring, squirting. So get on, you know, get on Amazon or call your local toy store and buy as many of the cheap water toys as you can. You can use them in the bath. You can do a water table in the backyard. Um, I just feel like water is such a, such a good busy activity, activity for toddlers. Um, And then I, I would suggest making sure you have lots of breaks in the day if possible for yourself, because it is really challenging to have a spirited toddler. We, we answered a couple of different questions last week. If you missed them, you can go back and listen about like how to build in little breaks for yourself throughout the day when you're home with little kids. Um, because I think your ability to keep up with and like stay patient with a physical toddler is directly proportional to the amount of sleep you're getting. And the amount of time you're able to have to yourself. And if that's not possible at all right now, then you'll still be okay. Like you will get through this, but if you have the ability to get breaks and to really pay attention to your own energy, um, that will just help you meet that kid where he is. I don't know, Megan, I'm curious what you have to say. Cause I, I think I probably yeah. will have some more suggestions for specific ideas or specific activities, but yeah, I want to hear, want to hear you. Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, it wasn't the same as a pandemic, but I, I did go through several very cold, very long winters with 
toddlers, um, toddlers plus newborns cooped up in small apartments and small homes. Um, so, you know, there wasn't really a lot of getting out in those times either, or, or sometimes just getting into a freezing cold car wasn't worth, you know, wherever we were going to wind up going. So I do remember, um, the just add water thing. I remember particularly coming up with lots of hacks to, and Brittany doesn't say how old her toddler is. So I don't know, you know, how appropriate any of this advice, but, but like, I remember having a step stool where an older toddler could get up to the sink and have mm-hmm. a couple inches of sink of water in the sink and splash and play so that I didn't have to closely supervise the way I would if they were sitting in a bathtub. Right. Just for example, like I could be, you know, sitting at the kitchen table. Um, that was something I did. I remember filling a bowl of water mm-hmm. and putting it on the floor, mm-hmm. like just yeah. surrounding a toddler with towels and putting them in their diaper on the floor and just being like, go for it because this is going to keep you busy and whatever cleanup I have to do later. And yeah. we've talked about that too, Sarah, like mm-hmm. just sometimes, just sometimes knowing that the 20 minutes of peace you're going to get is worth the seven minutes of cleanup later, even though that seven minutes might be like, ugh, it's mm-hmm. going to be totally worth it. So a lot of that kind of thing. I had all of the busy toys. Um, the little inflatable like sockum guy that you like punched in. Yes. The punching bag guy yes. that you punch I'm so glad you brought it. Goes that up. to the ground yeah. and pops back up. We just talked about the jumbolines mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. So depending on your toddler's age, there's lots of things that you can give them where they can get that energy out. And then this is gonna sound weird, but I would sometimes position myself with my back to them or like with only one ear pointed in their direction. And sometimes I don't think that even earbuds were a thing yet. Like when my, right. I, when most of my kids were toddlers, I think people still used headphones. <laughs> like, I don't remember earbuds <laughs> being a thing, honestly, but like you'd have like one kind of over the, that ear and then one off. So I heard what was going on, but I didn't hear it in the ear closest, you know, mm-hmm. it like just, you find little ways to muffle it and yeah. to tune out and like, open your door and stare out the, like your screen door, your sliding door and stare out the window at whatever you can look at and get some outdoor noise coming in to, to muffle that toddler sound. It's all about like environment management. Yes. I think I love that yeah. phrase. Yeah. I love the phrase environment management. And I'm so glad you brought up like the big gross motor indoor toys, or they could be moved outdoor, the punching guy and the sure. crawl through tunnels. And I was thinking about when she was saying, you know, the example of driving a car over and over again into the floorboards or into the you know, the baseboards, for example. And I think watching your toddler and seeing what, what physical, what physical motion they're into right now is a great way to then take that and channel it somewhere else. So you see, wow, I see you want to throw right now. Like you want to throw your matchbox cars and that might break a window. So let's go outside and throw a ball or let's go outside and throw matchbox cars because there's nothing wrong with that. It just has to be you know, maybe it's not even outside. Maybe you can go into a place where that's safe to do. And so I love that she's, Mm -hmm. you know, watching what, what he's naturally drawn to doing and then finding a safe way to do that rather than like, don't throw that. Don't step on that. Don't, you know, and we've all been there too. And those power struggles can feel hard. So, um, and then I, I, something I heard a long time ago about puppies, which is totally, I know that toddlers are not dogs and I'm not really comparing them, but that certain types of dogs need a job because they're working dogs, right? Yeah. So they're like used to having a purpose. And I use that with my kids all the time. Like they're being just indiscriminately physical. I say, yeah. you look like you need a job. And by a job, I don't need, mean a chore, although my kids are older now and I might. You need a career. I, I, and I don't mean like you need to take out the garbage or you need to clean. Right. Like, But you really actually need um like a purpose for this physical yeah. energy. And so if you can think like, think it like a sheepdog puppy and like, the sheepdog puppy wants to round up sheep. That's what they want to do. So if they can't, they are going to get into trouble. And and I think the same is kind of true with toddlers. Like they want to bounce, twirl, throw, fall, bang. And and if they can't yeah. do it safely, it's going to drive you crazy. So whatever that, and, and I'm again, I use the job in big air quotes because it's not like you're going to put them to work in a toddler factory, but you might look on. Wait, they don't have those? No, like the little <laughs> tiny, tiny toddler um, factory line. Um, yeah. There's that Instagram is busy toddler that everybody raves about these days. It's to you and I, were, it was before our time. Um, but there's so many resources where just a little bit of a, um, some easy thing you can set up, a little racetrack on the ground or a little, um, 
bouncing a ball down the stairs into a bucket. Like some something with a little bit of a purpose might just channel that energy. I don't know. Is this even helpful? Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope. I mean, I, it is because, you know, I feel like when you're in that place, it's so hard to see outside of the the little, I don't know, like corral you're in mm-hmm. that someone might suggest an idea. You're like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought of that. Like maybe I can give my toddler an old notebook and let them rip every page Ooh, out. Yeah, remember or something like wow. Remember the scene in um Ramona in uh first or second? Like it's not Ramona the Pest. Maybe the next one where she wants to take every piece of tissue out of a tissue box. Do you remember that yes. scene? It's yes. so good. And, and it was so... I think it was Ramona and her father. I yeah, believe. it's one of the early ones. Um, and she yeah. and I mean again. Maybe maybe paper products right now in this in this scenario we're in are not a good well, example. You can, I believe but, you can put them back in the box. That's true. You so can put them back in the tissue box. Yes. Find a job. Find something that's a little bit a little bit, you know, off limits normally in a way to be physical, like, you know, stacking up pillows and hitting them with a plastic baseball bat. Like there are ways to be yeah. really, really physical. And then I would just come back to taking care of your own self so that you are, if you're doing this for the things we suggested, if you are doing those for 16 hours straight, you are going to lose your mind, even with all the best tips and the best ideas. So making sure that in some way you get a break. And I love that she acknowledged that this kid is just like wired differently probably than she is. And we've all been there where you're like, I don't know, I wasn't a physical child. Like I, I didn't want to bounce off the wall. So how do I parent someone so different from me? And I think just by even asking the question that way, it sounds like you're doing a great job. Agreed. All right. Well, we have one more question from Lee, and I love that name. I think that's such a pretty name. So we will listen to Lee's question now. It's a fun one. Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Lee from Alberta, Canada. My question is, I'm wondering what some of your favorite mom milestones have been. I've thought about this in terms of, you know, some of those things that stick out as if we had a baby book for ourselves as moms, what would we put in there? Um, for me, for example, one is um, the first time I got my baby in the baby carrier successfully and she fell asleep. Or the first time I had to leave work to um, go pick up a sick kid. Um, yeah, what are some of the mom, mom milestones that stick out to you? Would love to hear. Thanks so much for your content. I love it every week. It's such a highlight for me. Okay, I love this question because when I sat down and started thinking, like I had so many, I had to stop myself. Otherwise, this would be a whole episode. I know. We and should ma- do a whole episode. We really could. We really could. Consider yes. this the teaser for a forthcoming yes. episode. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So, Jerry, I love the one about getting the baby in the baby carrier successfully. I have that memory as well. Um, the first one I thought of was when I learned how to nurse on both sides without rolling over. So, meaning you can breastfeed from the bottom boob or lean over and breastfeed with the top boob. And you are lying in bed in this scenario. You're not sitting up, yes. right? Like me with nope. my little, no, no, no. I'm just like lying in bed. And, yeah. and, and it doesn't necessarily mean it was like nighttime. It often was just, I didn't want to roll over. I didn't want to move the baby often. Like I was reading yeah. or watching TV or just comfortable. And maybe baby was like kind of dozing and I didn't want to disturb the baby. So I didn't want to flip. And I don't think I got this until baby two, possibly baby three. Like I remember when I figured it out thinking as I'm not like, I'm especially then I didn't have really very big breasts. And so I was just like, how am I ever going to do this? And it's really more about a, it's like a, it's like a twist maneuver. I know. I'm like picturing. Yeah. I'm I'm picturing more of you than I've ever really pictured before. Well, you've been very up close and personal (laughs) with my cleave and my, and my boobs because you had to get me out of that dress that one time. But I mean, it's literally like if you were lying on your side nursing with the bottom, then what you do is almost kind of like tuck the bottom and then lean (laughs) over Uh and it becomes so like second nature that you finally just, it it just becomes not a thing at all. But it was one of those things where before I learned how to do it, it was like, I, I just couldn't even imagine how such a magical thing could be possible. I love that. And then that. when I got it, it was like I had turned into the most expert mom I love that, that ever could be. So I love that. Okay. Yes, well, that, that was a huge moment for me. That is big. <laughs> well, my first one is also breastfeeding related only it's, and it's the second baby. And I have a very specific memory of being at an indoor play place um, at Paradise Valley Mall in Phoenix, Arizona, because it was a hundred gazillion degrees. So and my toddler had run. So I was sitting and nursing on the edge of a the bench where the then the toddlers were playing at one of those mall, you know, playgrounds yes. inside. And the and I think we were with some friends and the toddlers kind of got up and wanted to leave the 
enclosed play area and I did not detach baby. I had, I had like a loose nursing cover on and I just got up and walked and then even had to run a little bit to catch up with these two year olds (laughs) who were running ahead. And I had a friend with me and I was like, I just remember feeling so experienced with like, I have a toddler and a newborn and I didn't even dis, I didn't de-latch the baby. I just got up and started running down a mall after my two-year-old and, and it was all fine because the first nursing, the first baby, it was like, I was seated in the proper position with the right pillow. And I had my glass of water and I was going to sit there for 40 minutes. And of course, even with the first baby, I got more relaxed than that as time went on. But this was probably a one month old baby, a really little baby where I was yeah. still, still, we were still getting the nursing thing down for our nursing relationship. And I just remember like feeling really cool. Like, like only an experienced yes, mom could I got get this. up and run down the mall while nursing and chasing a toddler. So that was the one that popped in for me. I love that. Okay. So another one, all the ones I came up with were like baby related, but I just, this is such a rich minefield. Yes. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if minefield is the right word. It's a rich field to mine. Maybe that's what I'm going to go. going for. Okay. So this would be, and I had two babies who were big time spitters, like spitter uh-huh. uppers. I had at least one. And what's yeah. funny, I couldn't tell you now which ones they were. I, I'm sure if I really thought about it, I could, but like I made a comment once setting in an essay wrote that it's like every baby and no baby in particular. Uh-huh. When yeah. I think about babies vomiting on me, it's, I can't really pin it on any one. It could be all of them at once. It could be just one, but I do remember thinking two of them in particular were, were heavy spitters, but I remember, um, they're, the ones who were the biggest spitter uppers had this little sound their tummies would make. And it was right before they would spit up. And I can't even, it was like a bubble, yeah. like a little yeah. bit of a, a release of a bubble. And it's one of those sounds. It's almost imperceptible to the human ear, except for the mom ear, like the yes. mom ear can pick it up. And I remember the first time I was like holding the baby, maybe like with my hand on their tummy and I literally felt under my hand the tiniest motion. And you knew. And I knew and was able to like maneuver a receiving blanket in front of the baby's mouth before they yes. puked on me. Yes. And I just felt like I had won the mom lottery. Yes. It was amazing. Well, that's just such a <laughs> testament to the skills that are never really spoken aloud in yes. new motherhood. Like you can't put that on a resume and yet it is so <laughs> hard one. It is so yes, like, it, so it's, hard one. yeah, exactly. Um, well, so an, a quick one for me, anyone who has spent a year in an office pumping, um, I did with my first baby and I remember being done with the pump. Um, and I, I had kind of done the calculations where I wasn't completely done breastfeeding, but I was, going like dropping one feeding at a time. And so we were down to just morning and night, which means at daycare, she didn't need any bottles during the day. She was eating a lot of solid foods. She was about, she was just, just under a year, I think. Um, or maybe I had enough frozen that I had anyway, I realized I am done pumping at work. And I, I distinctly remember feeling like it was such a different milestone from being done with the breastfeeding relationship. Cause I didn't feel done with that. And so they were two very different things. And man, setting that big bag aside and not having, <laughs> oh to, my gosh. um, yeah. And also over the course of that year, I went from having a, like a little office. This wouldn't happen anymore. Cause I think legally they have to provide you, but this is 12 years ago and it was okay. The first few months there was a, an unused office. And by the end I was in a bathroom, in a bathroom stall. So like it got, oh my gosh. it got worse as it went on, not easier. Um, so that was a big milestone, Be- leaving that giant pump bag at home and knowing I could still feed my baby. I had made it a year and I was done. That's amazing. And I know when you're pumping, like every ounce you get feels like the most precious, yes. precious gold. Yes. yes. Um, I feel like all, okay. So this is another bodily fluids one. It's fine. Everything it's we've fine. done so far has had something to do with bodily fluids. So I had four boy babies in a row and I think I figured this one out with Jacob. Like this one was pretty early on, but a baby boy makes an expression right before they pee on you. I swear like their expression. (laughs) And there are people who do what's called elimination communication where Uh they don't use diapers and they will talk about the expression. And and I don't think if you're using diapers, you really never have to learn it. Right. But I got peed on enough. Like, and I had a couple boys, baby boys who were peer, like you take their diaper off and the minute they felt the air, they would just pee on you. And I learned to see it in their eyes and quickly (laughs) like fold the diaper back up. And that felt like, Again, like I would do it with one hand 
it would be like, okay, say the baby's on the changing table or on the bed, on the, you know, on the blanket. I'm rustling around with one hand in the diaper bag or in the diaper um, dispenser thingy on the, on the changing table, right? I've got one hand on baby just to hold them in place. I'm not even looking at the baby, yeah. but out of the corner yeah. of my eye, I see them look at me funny. Yeah. And immediately I just cover <laughs> the offending parts. And it just felt like I am like some kind of spider woman. Like yes. I have got skills no one else has. And it felt amazing. I don't know that I have that, even those reflexes anymore. No, like, probably could not. Could I be that fast? I was thinking <laughs> when, when you were telling the spit up one, I was thinking about, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with my nieces and Maya was six months at Christmas, five, five months. Um, and I do feel like I started to get, get my spit up radar back and my, you know, like yeah. all those little things, but I think it takes a while. You got to like, you, you have to get back into it for a little while. Yes. Um, yep. Well, my last one is not bodily fluid related and it's slightly older, um, but it's another just crystal clear memory. And that is the fall that I had a new preschooler um, and school pictures happened. And I, it's not the school pictures themselves that I remember. It's when the packet came back and home with her little her little backpack or whatever came this packet of school pictures. And, you know, they're all you know, you got the th- the little wallet sized ones and the little order sheet and the, or, or the proofs. It was the proofs. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. And oh, I, I remember just, that too. I just had such an identity at this point. So at this point, if I had a three and a half year old, I would have also had a one and a half year old at home and I wasn't quite pregnant with the third, but I just had this identity as a mom of babies and toddlers. And of course we'd been in preschool for a couple months by this point, but something about getting that thing that came home felt such like a school mom, like such like this world that hadn't yet opened to me. And oh my gosh, they are the sweetest first school pictures you've ever seen. Like she just was like, she had such a round fat baby face until she was like five and it was, but yet they have the background and it looks, it looks very elementary schoolish. I think, which is what, what, what's so stark for me because she was in a little Montessori program that felt, it felt like consistent with her age, but something about getting school pictures sent home felt older and it felt like, Oh, I'm a school mom now. And of course now I've been a school mom for a hundred million years, but it was just the first time I felt like one. And so, yeah. I love that. And Jacob's um, preschool pictures were the same. Like he had this round, adorable baby face, but like the pictures looked so legit. Yes. They made him look like a kindergartner or a first grader. And I was just like, what? I have a kid. Like a real legitimate kid. kid. Yes. That is so exactly the feeling. So yeah, no bodily fluids in that one. Exactly. No. And I don't have any bodily fluids in this last one either. And this is really speaking to what your, your one um, about your niece was Sarah. And I think it's one that I, we can all kind of identify with as we go on through life. And it's that moment when you learn how to read, not only your own baby or toddler at a table, say, or like toddling around a room, but everybody else's. And you become that person who's like anticipating and pushing cups and plates and forks out of the way. Or you see that a baby is like, you know, a little uncertain on their feet and you cover the corner, like or the you sharp put your corner head on the coffee out, like table. By their head. Like I just would just put like, cut yeah. my, cut my hand around their forehead as they, as yes. they go somewhere toward a table. Corner. And that also becomes, I believe that is an instinct that doesn't ever fully go away yeah. and it becomes something that's just with you, but it, it's something learned in early motherhood that you just, that just stays. It's a little rusty sometimes, but it comes out in me full force, even around strange babies that I probably have no business interacting with at all. <laughs> I kind of can't help myself. I'm like, oh boy, there's a fork. Yeah. Oh boy. Hey, should I shove this cup out of the way for you? And it's, I mean, it's like kind of that feeling of we're all in this together that yeah. I love about it. Um, I, I do too. And yeah. And I do think that that's something that will just be with me forever. Yes. And um, we have a great episode in the archives called Other People's Babies. That's a really fun one. Yeah. Um, and I think we had some conversations like that. And I think that instinct that you're talking about comes not only from having your own baby, but also logging time with groups of babies or groups of kids. And it, it is something that comes with time and it feels very, um, like it feels like you're part of a, like a tribe or you have like, yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, well that was super fun question to wrap up. So thank you, Jerry. Um, all right. Well, thanks everyone so much for listening. And if you like hearing the voices and the challenges of other moms from around the country, I would love for you to check out our new series called Pandemic Perspectives. It comes out on Sundays this spring and it's right in your podcast feed where you find other episodes of the Mom Hour. Yeah, we are really excited about that series. So definitely tune in and we'll talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. 
Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Hi, everyone. Megan here. Sarah and I would absolutely love it if you would hit pause right now, like right where you're listening, and leave the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, this is one of the biggest ways you can thank us, and it really only takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, you can navigate to the Mom Hour's show listing. So when you're in the episode you're listening to right now, click where it says the Mom Hour just above the play button, and then scroll all the way to the bottom, and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening.